Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. We are in a new year, a new decade, depending on who you ask to. People would like to argue about everything these days. So sometimes <laughs> we're in a new decade. Maybe it won't happen until next year. Whatever side you're on, we are happy that you're here with us today. There's always a lot going on, and this week is no different. Uh, one thing that we just want to touch on really quickly, we know a lot of people are talking about um, the U.S.-led airstrike on Soleimani, a general from Iran. There's been a lot of talk on social media from younger generations upset, uh, worried this is going to start World War III, and they're worried about uh, the implications that should come. I think we should first note that Soleimani, I don't think there's anyone out there who would say that he was a good guy. He's a bad guy. He's gone, and the world's probably a better place. The question is, what will the reaction be, and is the reaction worse than just leaving a bad guy on Earth? Greg, uh, you are on the side of this was a good move. Sure. I Look, we had the early reports from the uh, embassy uh, issues that were happening in where, Iran or Iraq? Was it Iraq where they were, the embassy? It happened in Iraq, yeah. yeah. Iraq. So they were, they were comparing it to Benghazi. They were saying, look, this is going to be uh, President Trump's issue as it had been President Obama's uh, in, in, you know, in the years past and whatever year that was, the eve of that election, whenever that was. But anyway... It wasn't that, in my opinion. I thought that there was a very decisive uh, action taken once they understood or intelligence showed them where the source of that was coming from. I think where, as a parent, just as a parent, talking, looking at world news and the kind of the world we live in now, the narratives now are just so, so extreme that my youngest is just genuinely afraid for the things that you've described. Uh, the social media and some of the chatter going on, I, I don't know that there's an appreciation of how strong our military is. We are a lone superpower, and I think that there are... Uh, things that happen where you are looking to protect uh, United States citizens, uh, United States interests. We have a very strong military, and but I think the social media and how some of these stories get away from us or the adults, it has a splash on kids, and I think we yeah. got to be careful about that. You know, I, I'll agree with that. I think this is a time to watch your sources, and I think it's a time to go to real news outlets. I think it's a time to understand the complexity of the issue and don't try and make this a short soundbite. I do think there are real consequences for people's safety and health, the feeling of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I really do think at this point, I, we, I want the military experts, I want sound minds, I want less partisan rhetoric, I want it to really be about the nation and not about um, building cases for and against actions. And I, and I do sure. think I would say to everybody at this point, turn to real news outlets yeah. and dial down social media. Dial down is really the thing. It's a complicated issue, and most people who are preaching and yelling on social media have no idea what's going on. Uh, even if you are in the realm of we are, where we're looking at politics a lot more often. I mean, I've been doing my research on him, too, and what this happened, but there's a lot that goes on. This has been happening for decades, mm -hmm. so this isn't something that any one of us are like really of sound mind and knowledge to be able to talk about. So we're going to keep learning. We're going to keep watching. I'm sure we'll be talking about it in the weeks ahead. Here in Utah, though, it's been a busy week, even few days, usually over the holidays. It is dead and quiet, but it's not. Yesterday, um, 
we watched a couple stories where signatures come coming in. We talked about the tax referendum last time. They've officially gathered about 550 signatures, I think is their total right now. They say they have thousands more, but those are the ones that have been counted and verified. Last time we said this was a big, big ask. Mara, as you've been watching this, do you think they have the momentum, the money, the manpower to make this happen? I love seeing last night on, on your footage yeah. that showed lines. I've never seen lines like that for people wanting to gather signatures. So I'm going to still stay a little pessimistic about the bar that has been created for this activity, but I am going to once again plead to legislative leadership that says, will you please see whether it is in my case I feel like maybe a flawed policy. Mm -hmm. Perhaps in their case they feel like it's good policy. Either way I would say please note the disconnect. You have Utah standing in a line at a library wanting to sign a referendum so that they can reconsider a law that they either clearly don't understand or they disagree with. And so I'm going to say once again to the legislature, you at the very minimum still owe, and the executive branch owes That's us some uh, leadership and explanation on this. But I, I, there are some irreparable flaws. One of the things I'll go back to is in a democracy, taxation is a way to show where our values and our humanity live. And I think um, that's an indictment of a food tax. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are upset about that, and that's why they're lining up. I was surprised myself when I saw that video because this is a holiday week when people could be choosing right. to do other things. They were there lined up to do it. Our assignment desk that takes all the calls that come into the newsroom, they said they've been overwhelmed by people asking where they can go do it in their own area. So people are interested in this. The question is, are there 115,000 not only interested but will show up, sign, and put their name and their money yeah, where their I, mouth is. I, I don't. I think it's a, it's a high bar on purpose. And uh, I lived through a referendum where signatures were gathered, certified, and brought 2007 to the 2007 or which 2007. one was it? Yeah. It was 2007. And so it's, uh, it, it doesn't happen very often. I think that our democratically elected republic is a great form of governance. It's, uh, it's the one we have. It's the one I think that works. I think you separate when you have referendums or even initiatives. You're separating policy and how people get their information or how they would uh, subscribe to that issue versus those that you elect. And I, I, I don't want to separate lawmakers or, an, or a governor from uh, the policy at hand. And so I think that's what happens when you talk referendums or, or initiatives. Let me just say this, though. Mara, you caught yourself at the very end. But what you said was revealing, and it's what I've learned since I've left the legislature. We can keep asking the legislature to appreciate or to uh, the, the, maybe the misinformation or people don't understand the tax policy or to maybe try to inform a little bit better. I know, and I, now watching it from the outside and looking at it, that's not what a legislative branch is built to do. It is built for strength. It is built by numbers. They, are, they do not have a bully pulpit. There isn't a way for them to hold 10 more town hall meetings and the public, the well of understanding of this bill, increase. This really is, and you can tell by poll numbers and, and name ID for a governor, just like Governor Huntsman in 2007 or a Reagan, uh, Governor, or t President Reagan or how a president uh, looks to cut taxes or have an initiative regarding taxes, your executive branch, your chief executive has to lead that charge. They have to inform the public at large. And the mere fact that we're calling it the legislature's effort means that there is an absence of that discussion going on right now. There's and therein one lies more the component problem. that I want to bring up, and I think that it's where uh, people should take the most action. And it is the fact that 
uh, another really important way to voice how you feel, how you're being represented, is during elections. And one Correct. of the things that we Absolutely. haven't done in Utah is hold people accountable because we have this notion that they're nice. They're absolutely nice people. But if they are not doing what you, they, they're elected to do a job. Yeah. And so I would encourage people, regardless of what happens with a referendum, regardless of what happens with amendments, study that issue, particularly a taxation issue like this. It is not complicated, which will lead me to point two. But to finish point one, I would say hold them accountable at the election ballot and also hold your local officials. Don't just don't just talk about the presidential race. Talk about who is your local elected. But the number two that I think is so important during this that I hope all of our elected officials hear is the audacity of the argument that happens all the time in referendums and initiatives. The number one defense that I hear of elected officials is, well, the people just don't understand it. It's really complicated. And we've taken so much time and I've studied so hard. The arrogance of a lay legislator telling people who elect them that they cannot understand the components of their own taxation is is unbelievable to me <laughs> and and I take so much umbrage on it and so I will just say you should categorically directly ignore and and I would say heckle anyone who tells you that you just don't understand it and they understand it I, I, every citizen absolutely has the capacity to understand this uh, cer they certainly do I, I think the difference is uh, as a lawmaker and having been a public servant uh, what what people may gather from a signature sheet or asked to sign uh, in their whether at a supermarket or where they are to put their name to a, a signature sheet versus when I when I would hold a town hall meeting and we could maybe drill down on the issues in a more but let's review the there, process there's a, they there's put a the different takeaway on to have the discussion Greg they, it's, it's actually it's an more election. rigorous I, I think, it's more yeah. rigorous than any policy debate that goes on but, but any I, day and twice on Sunday the, Greg the, the challenge I have with, with that whole process is that when you do get it qualified for the ballot, then you see the money come in, and you see you'll see the the commercials or the spin lines uh, from the well-heeled uh, opponents or proponents, and I, I I don't find that to be the. Explain it's, it's not like, to me it's not the like, uh, difference with between the stars that and the lobbyists your who took out all those boutique taxes in the first round. Explain the difference between the <laughs> well, money of the lobbyists yeah. who took out those taxes. Uh, look, there is money in the system, and that's a different topic. I will just say, referendums, people have the capacity to understand them. This is a taxation issue, and at the very least, our elected officials should hear either disagreement at the most, or at the very least, Look, a I, lack of understanding. I will agree with you. I, I will never ever suggest that the electorate is ignorant when they approach anything, because that's how elected officials get elected. So they would be indicting the very system that would uh, send them to represent a, a, an area or a district. I'll just say this. I'm all about high information election cycles, however you get there. If you think okay. it's from supermarkets and, and signature sheets and having uh, big media buys, if you think it's drilling down and holding your elected officials accountable, I'm all about high information. I think that good information drives good decisions, and however you get there is what I think we should be doing. And I think education really is the key. And voters, as you said, they have the capacity. The question is, do you make the choice to do it? And I think it really is important to educate yourself because what we're seeing now, too, is uh, skipping ahead to another topic. We have full Medicaid expansion that's happening now. Uh, this week is the first time. It'll probably be, be maybe another month before we mm -hmm. see how it goes and how many people can sign up. And my understanding is there's no deadline like signing up for Obamacare. You can do it throughout the year. So we'll have to see how it goes. And I think people will be happy that it's there. But there's always repercussions to everything we do. And it's a lot of money, Mara. When we look at the budget, health care is a big monster um, piece of the budget here in Utah. So 
people got what they wanted now, but they're also going to see that it's going to be a big burden to carry on for years to come. Sure. I mean, it may. It's a priority is what it is, right? And it's a yeah. base priority. What we know about preventive care is that it saves money down the line. What we know of this segment of the population of a couple things who access Medicare and access these emergency goods, one of the things we know is they don't stay on it forever. That's a complete fallacy. It's not a fallacy that you live for this line of government support. So these are people who are wanting to change their position. Two what we know of these at-risk groups are they're going into emergency rooms and, and the state, in essence, through longer and more paperwork, is paying three times as much. Um, I, I, Greg's going to tell you about concerns about uh, um, an over-inscribement to this, and, and, and that'll be good to hear, but what we're finding, <laughs> what we're finding is that we're finding is when Utah applied the limited Medicaid, I mean, we, we did well with it. So really all we did through the legislative um, disagreement with what the public wanted was just deny access for uh, several months and now we are to full Medicaid. Utah is a well-managed state and Utah plans for the future and we do have the means and the funds to help those at the margins with the very basics of their health and this is a tremendous policy and I think we'll, we'll use it to serve well. I do think in the long run health care is such a big ticket on all of our budgets now and so I'm not ignoring that that's that is that is nothing to be ignored but it is also your health care and the, the undue consequence of that is you pay one way or the other it is true your health uh, matters a lot we had a story I think a week or two ago Greg that people were actually showing up to the emergency room for dental care which blew my mind because I'm like what who goes to the emergency room but people don't go to the doctor is there a chance that all of this money we're spending and that we're going to see people signing up for Medicaid and we see it help the economy because more people will not be calling in sick for work or they can actually keep now, a job I, or hold a job so I think the the gap that we were looking to cover um, is about 150,000 Utahns mm -hmm. uh, look we have far many more Utahns working families where health care is a larger portion of their household income that aren't eligible for this expansion um, I, I think that there is there is a a growing irony to the the drumbeat for Medicaid expansion for people of a certain income level mm -hmm. when I think households and people that really struggle are being ravaged by the by the deductibles every year that they have to pay and the larger and larger insurance premiums every month they have to pay for them and I think that's not just in Utah but in in this presidential election when you look at states like Pennsylvania and uh, and Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin there will be I think a recoil from the public as, as a whole to continue to talk about how to provide uh, health care uh, to people without a cost when it is impacting in such a de detrimental way uh, Americans broadly. It is not more accessible, it is not more affordable, it is just a reality. And what we're spending all our time staring at, I know this works and this is what I felt as a lawmaker. There's a lot, a lot of federal money for banks and health care providers and so there's an incredible amount of political will to make sure that this segment that we and we I believe we all have that obligation and I believe what the legislature passed when I was there provided a basic level of health but to have so much attention and political capital spent on people in need but and for Medicaid which is an expensive program and a federal entitlement that grows with the rest of them while so many Utahns are struggling right now and people across this country there's 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 an irony to that and I but think Greg, people are when feeling we continue to when the politicians continue to take care of the business side of health care and don't take care of the patient side of health care, right? And yeah. this is a nonpartisan. I'm not putting that on anybody. But what continues to happen in this really complex web is that the business interests 
have a lobbying force and they have a case for support but the business interests are winning and then we do these emergency messages or these emergency relief things for patient care and what you've done is in just increase all the costs and until yeah. we have an appetite to tackle the business side of med medicine but, I don't but know. Mara, that's the, you're, you're satisfying the business side with Medicaid expansion because they're getting those federal dollars, 90, 90% to 10% or $9 for $1. When, we were, when I was in the House, we just proposed to the business side, to the health care providers, you pay the dollar to qualify for the 9 They rejected it. They said they're not going to pay $1 to get 9 They They refused this model. They want taxpayers in an open-ended 10% of an amount we don't know in a state that doesn't print money, like the federal government, to pay that open-ended 10% of whatever that ultimate cost would be. The moment we asked the hospitals, the, the physicians, the all of those that are going to receive those federal funds to put in a dollar to get 9 they said it's a no deal. And that is the business side, in my opinion. And so... That's the that's the trouble I have with this whole topic is that I think we 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 strain it and that's why we swallow camels when it comes to health care broadly. I think it is a terrible issue that is impacting people's lives in ways that they didn't expect until sometimes there's a medical emergency and they're in the throes of it. And I haven't heard from any policymaker uh, the real solution on how we, we resolve Agreed. it. Agreed. Yeah, I don't think we're going to solve the problem today, but I do think that I'm hoping at some point that there's someone who's running our country or has the people um, in their cabinet that can really go from the ground up and fix it mm -hmm. because obviously I think we have the minds and the willpower to do it. It's probably not easy, but we need to fix the system altogether. I want to get back to some of those signature gathering uh, items. We are now fully in an election year. It's 2020. We're here, so we can't complain about the fact we're talking about elections. The right. gubernatorial election the getting what? a lot of attention. That is a weird, That's a long uh, word. That is a weird a, word. How do you the spell? sources close to me say that uh, Greg Hughes might be getting to the race this coming week. We'll all be excited <sighs> to see how that turns out. Uh, before you get in, though, uh, Greg, I know how awkward is this for you? Um, we had four candidates who've already thrown their hat into the mm -hmm. ring. Um, Amy Winder Newton. We have Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, former Governor John Huntsman. And who am I forgetting? Thomas Wright. Um, Thomas Wright, who Yesterday. finally officially got into the race and is gathering signatures, which a lot of people are like, what? Who's this? Because he, when he was head of the party, was fighting against the signature gathering. But he said it's a new game. So mm -hmm. it is a new game. Uh, everyone has said at this point that they're going to gather signatures, except for Rob Bishop, who has decided if he's going to run, but hasn't told us what that decision is. So we're waiting <laughs> on that. So that'll be interesting. This is... Um, <laughs> A fair, I wouldn't even call it a crowded race. This is an exciting race because we have a lot of qualified people getting into it this. Uh, let's say you, if you were going to get into this hypothetically, election, hypothetically, yeah. um, will you or would you gather signatures? So if there, if there is or isn't an announcement, which I have to say, we, we are looking at this a... This so coy. I know. Yes, no, look, this, this is what's so funny. I've actually got beat up over this. <laughs> Yesterday it said that I was announcing that I was announcing. Okay, I don't come up with Nobody these things. Nobody announces the announcement. No, no, I didn't, and everyone thinks it's like some evil plot, or that mm -hmm. I, I, I'm trying to announce that I announced. I, I, I have not announced that I'm announcing that, or I didn't. If you ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer, and I'm not going to lie about it. So, am I looking at this announcement? Yes, for next week, yes. Um, but that's not trying to preempt anyone else's announcement. It's, so, there's all this all this chatter going on. I, I'll say this: as far as signature gathering and what I do. Well, we'll just have to hear when I announce. Wait and see what that how is. it goes. Who knows? Know. And when you think about how many people are running and you each need 28,000 signatures and they have to be individuals that haven't signed for anyone else, 
That's a lot of people in our state who are going to have to get interested and excited about this election. Is this a good thing, Mara? It's a great thing. That's why I support signature <laughs> gathering. I support opening <laughs> the caucus system. The um, party systems control this. And one of the things we have to respect, the state of Utah needs to respect, is this portion of the game is party-driven. But I think it is really great that you now have, as you suggested, 28,000 times 4, 5, or 6, that people are that interested that they sign. And as you suggested, you can't sign for two. So you have to think about it a little. And to engage that many members, in this case, the Republicans, the Republicans have a closed system, and so you need to be a registered Republican to sign. But to engage that, apathy has been something we've struggled with, in part because we're well-managed, in part because we don't think we're competitive. We have an open governor's race. We have qualified candidates. We have different points of view. Um, we have very different personalities. I think from the get-go to involve the public is a good thing. And I think in the long run, the party, even the Republican Party, although I say that with a small p because I don't know if they're a qualified party right now, but the Republican Party, I think, is better off engaging as many people as they can from the very beginning. Absolutely. And we should note, if you're listening to this and you are not a registered Republican, you can choose to be in the state of Utah a registered Republican, even if you're an independent or a Democrat in your gut or your heart, if you would like to help decide who the person will be, who will likely lead your state, because the odds are not in the favor of a Democrat, whom I don't think we even have a name for running. And I know that a lot of people um, worry, and the reason why there is a closed system is so that you're not having the other party come in and vote for the weakest candidate to put up against yours. But I know a lot of people who really do just want to choose someone who they think will be good at running the state, right. and they file as Republican for that reason. So let, let you me pull can do the, that. Let me pull, pull the curtain back Ooh, on campaigns and elections Ooh, in Utah. Sexy. So it sounds great when we talk about 28,000 signatures per uh, candidate and all of the public participation that goes with it. They're paying 10 bucks a signature, okay? Yeah. That's 280K. It's uh, a lot of money. It's a lot, a lot of money. I would say that the people that enjoy the signature gathering process the most are those, that, those smart uh, free market, you know, enterprising uh, people that created companies that are now being paid a king's ransom to go get those signatures. I think you'd have a higher bar requiring a candidate and their immediate spouse to collect 100 signatures. You would have more grassroots and more active engagement than the people that can afford Two hundred thousand plus dollars. Aside, though, we for wouldn't signatures. be having this conversation. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a pricey prospect. System. Had we kept with your little coffee clutch that you were doing <laughs> before, <laughs> I, I'm just going to tell you. I love this episode. Not, this is a great we, one. We Good. would not be having this conversation this early. I will say, also a reminder that the finish line for these guys is in June, right? It's six months away. It's not November. It's true. So, like, they're they're looking at a, a pace, but. It has opened the discussion earlier. We did start seeing, you saw candidates declare earlier than they would ever have normally declared because the signature gathering process required them to get in the race earlier. Look, we, we passed a, a bill thing, that required Greg. signatures for, camp, for political parties. In hindsight, I think we tried to save people from themselves. Here's the free market of political parties that ought to, ought to be the case, which was always the case in Utah until recently. If a party alienates the public at large, they're not, their candidates are not going to win elections. We have to have the patience to let that play through. If we didn't like, if we thought that the, the convention was too insular, that 4,000 people as delegates had the potential to pot potentially pick a nominee, if the public felt excluded, and it shouldn't, but if it did, they shouldn't vote for that that party's nominee. Right. It, the change if, happened. The royal we happened. And, and this we is my, but this system. is the thing. It's always changed. From 1992, from 1992, going forward, the party 
through its delegates, and they always look for ways. It used to be an, it used to be a September primary. They moved it to June. It used to be seventy percent. They moved it down to sixty percent. The party had always parties. All political parties had looked at ways to to you know to be more marketable with their nominee. We decided in the legislature to create Senate Bill 54, where we were going and to create... And by decided, you mean there was a ballot initiative with, that was crutching uh, you. Def- so you thought definitions, you would definite, like create requirements for political parties on how to be a legal party, where we required signature gathering. I, I don't know. I think that... Uh, I don't know that it's, it's created the, the uh, utopia it was promised. Prior to, to SB 54, 4,000 people... In the great state of Utah, for the Republicans, chose their nominee. No, no, there were mostly seven hundred. There were primaries. The Democrats. There were primaries in those years, Crazy. for the most part. I mean, actually, every part. Even the year that uh, Senator Bennett lost, there was still a primary between more two other more candidates. More is more when it comes to democracy. It'll be interesting to see how it happens. But when I'm listening to Greg Hughes, um, our podcast mate, it sounds <laughs> like if he were to be running as a candidate, that he might not be willing to pay ten dollars for each of his signatures for votes. Look, he I, does have half a million dollars. At I least can in afford the bank, it. Though. I can afford to He's do it. I dollars. just have to decide whether I want to or not. It's a lot of money. You know? It is a so, lot of money. We'll all see. Right. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, there's other races where people are filing. The one thing that's uh, interesting is watching the 4th District, and this is the hotly contested district we have here in Utah. And we have a lot of candidates already. We already have Daniel Beckstrand, a Democrat, Kathleen, An- these are the Republicans, Kathleen Anderson, Chris Basinger, uh, Kim Coleman, Salvador Giove, Jay McFarland, Jay Mulner, and Burgess Owen. And that's a lot of candidates. I like seeing the excitement and um, all the energy in here. That's a lot of candidates going after McAdams' seat. After we get through where we have already the impeachment votes, we're heading into the new year. Do you feel like these Republicans have a chance? So, I mean, I, this this line of people vying, I think, is good news for uh, Representative McAdams. Uh, one, here's we'll peel. They back. can eat, let's, eat each let, other alive. Let's peel they get back to the it. curtain on this one as well. What we know in inside baseball is that uh, the Republican Party has sent in operatives in the last month searching for who they want as a candidate. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're just well, searching. Well, I'm just saying, DCCC, the Democrats no, are the Democrats all over this district as well. No, the Democrats are just bringing in they're on buckets TV. of 20s. They're yeah. bringing in their stuff. But they've already chosen their candidate. Yeah. So the Republicans, I think, while you're seeing interest is, you, um, you, you have some national money in here. And to the credit of those opponents, uh, money's hard to raise. And so knowing you could get some national yeah. support, this isn't dark alleyways. This is like knowing you can get enough money to communicate is really enticing. Uh, the question is, do you have the composition of someone who can beat McAdams and who can match up against them? There's another name floating out there. Mia Love, who keeps floating her name Mia, back again. Mia, bless her heart, she's coming back. Uh, a new name that I heard is Tom Carter, who is a mm-hmm. man who runs yeah. UCARE. He would be a matchup with... Which is with, a clean air advocacy group. Yeah, yeah with the, the state of Utah clean air advocacy group. He would be a matchup in that he's, I think, a centrist uh, Republican who has been elected before. I think it's intriguing, and I would say, from my seat, uh, I, if I were Ben McAdams, I would feel just okay about the line of people wanting to um, come up against me. Do you have a favorite? Because I know Republicans, when we're talking about operatives, nobody really realizes this when you're just living your happy lives, but the national parties do come in here and they pick someone who they kind of want to coddle and make sure that they go a long way. I think uh, Dan Hammert was probably, it seems to me, their choice and for some reason that is unknown to most of us, at least, unless you have some uh, knowledge. He decided that he wasn't running, so now they're coming in to yeah. pick someone. Do you have a favorite where you're like, oh, so, they can run the mile? 
as I understand from a state senator Hemmert, uh, actually it's one of those things that every uh, person has to consider. He has a, a business, and so yeah. how he was going to juggle that uh, became a little bit uh, more of a concern. And so I, that's why he and he's got you know what he's got a great. Uh, opportunity to continue as a public servant in the state senate and he's a leader in the state senate so i think there was that as well with him you've got some great candidates that have been listed here the ones i probably have uh worked with the most is for uh, is representative kim coleman yeah i've uh, worked with her as a, as a colleague in the house and she's a strong conservative uh and a very hard worker as a campaigner and uh, she's taken on some uh, tough issues in the legislature she actually found a agreement between tesla and uh automobile manufacturers and our automobile dealers which is a very uh, that those are three interest groups that are very hard to find policy that everybody's going to agree on and it took her a number of years uh, and uh, and she did that so she can show that capacity for advancing strong public policy that's just one but she's taken on a lot of hard issues uh burgess owen his uh former nfl player and uh he had i, I served on a board with him where as uh, it's a board that looks to mentor uh, youth that are in the juvenile justice system and okay. show strong examples. And uh, he is a he used to be a he played for the Oakland Raiders. I don't hold that against him really, but I should probably should. I would. But he's got a Super Bowl <laughs> ring, which is which it does, Most of uh, us don't have. which I like. But he's um, he is a, he has a, a strong actual national uh, following yeah. uh, in terms of being a conservative and advancing uh, conservative principles from a place of helping lift people out of their conditions and out of poverty. I, so he's got a unique message, and I think he's a. Those are the two, probably Representative Coleman and, and, uh, and Burgess are the two that I know, having worked yeah. with them. Uh, and I, you know, I like what they're doing, and I think it's an easy-to-win race. I think it's a walk-through. So just to give uh, something, easy, easy, something easy. for Greg to disagree with again, one of the things <laughs> I would encourage people to listen for is the really overt, packaged in D.C., this person stinks, this person's great. I hate that. Pro just ignore that. I would say How dig a little you? deeper. Go to their website. But that's, that's the Be, problem with congressional races, go, that they come in, both sides and come in and just it all dominate together. it. So it's yeah. like, you know what, go vote for a Utah. Go vote for someone who articulates where Utah is. Listen to McAdams' case for support on his record. I mean, there's an. I know Greg has some indictments of that, but I say listen to what he's done. And as you're listening to these candidates, if it sounds packaged from D.C., mm -hmm. kick it out and go find better information in terms of how uh, to look, vote. I, I, it's probably a choice you have to make as a voter because even I think Utah has a record of keeping things above board in elections, but now that we have these PACs that come in with their money nationally, mm -hmm. you don't always have control over right. uh, where the money's coming from and who the message is coming from, so you really have to look beyond. Like and there, said, there's less accountability, that. too. Yeah. You can sure. get a lot nastier and you don't have to be committed to the truth when nobody knows where that money's coming from. Mm -hmm. I, it's a system that we actually on a state level look to uh, bring transparency to dark money that comes into uh, state races and uh, it came with its controversy for doing it but both Republican and Democrats that like their dark money yeah. but I, this is what I'm so interested to see and, and then we can move to the next topic I just can't imagine that Donald Trump uh, being uh, in a position on the ballot to be reelected oh, in this fourth, fourth, fourth district, district. I know. in the fourth <laughs> district in that fourth district when he is on that ballot I suspect that the fourth district will vote to reelect Donald Trump as they go down that ticket and they see uh, Congressman McAdams' name, he voted to remove him from office and prevent him from being on that ballot. Is that a decision tree that voters are going to stare at? We don't have impeachments very often. This is not something that's common. We now have a scenario that is unique in itself, that the impeachment articles have not even been delivered to the Senate. There's continued games going on. How much of that can our congressman, uh, representing a Republican district, be a part of? where there's not, and having only won that seat by less than 700 votes, how much of that will 
splash back on him regardless of who this opponent is. So How much of that is going to... The state of Utah has four representatives. Yeah. And this is about choosing those representatives who are going to carry our values, not who's going to be a pawn for the top of the ticket. And Utahns can figure that out. And Utahns have figured that over and over. And we have some complexity Mara, about Donald Trump that I've always appreciated. Or is it the process that where we don't see impeachment, we've seen it three times in our nation's history, are we okay with how we're watching this? There are out? many of us, this will shock you, there are many of us mm -hmm. that believe perhaps Donald Trump didn't exercise the best judgment on his perfect call. And perhaps he did reach out to foreign nationals to help interfere. So uh, what we're talking about is the merit of it, Greg. And, I, and I, I know we disagree on Trump, but I will say again, never cede your right to elect your officials because someone up ticket or down ticket did something you didn't don't well, like. Yeah, the I, fact that no, you want to split your ticket, the fact that you want to have the complexity to not be driven by monikers of Republican and Democrat with have no litmus test to involve themselves in, I hope you split your ticket. I hope, I hope you never vote single party, and I hope you can distinguish between those who are duly elected. We have four of them. We barely, and hopefully, good Lord willing, we'll have five after the next <laughs> census. That would but be we have, nice. We have yeah. so few, and to say that so go the president, so go your representative is an argument I'm not buying. So like, you're detaching right, that you're detaching chance. the president from this impeachment as if they're or, the, or a congressman, which as if they're completely separate issues. I don't think they're separate. Here's here's the issue. For all the merit you just spoke of, that you believe that there was that it was valid to to vote to impeach this president, when when. When Speaker Pelosi and the Democrats had the, had the majority, they did not allow the Republicans to participate in that process, as has happened before. And there could not be a greater contrast to that than when you hear Minority Leader Chuck Schumer from the same party, but now in the minority in the Senate, demanding to have a stronger role and a more uh, bipartisan effort in the Senate. It was not the process you saw in the House, and I think it undermines that whatever those legitimate or issues or whatever opinions we have about whether that vote should have happened, the, the, just the, the, the pure partisan nature of it in the House, and now having Democrats of that same party clamor for a more fair and bipartisan process in the Senate, is anybody watching this? You and Does I this not agree. seem process, to be absolutely ridiculous? The process I can't, is embarrassing for That's both. the part that I think splashes on people. outcome has merit. And, or not, you can argue that. Yeah. Again, when you speak about how you're making a decision about your representative, it, you cannot make that based on a process you didn't like, which it's I agree with you. It's not that you didn't you. like, it's how I you don't get I am critical of, of Pelosi for still holding those articles. Yeah. I am critical for the gamesmanship of what is ultimately what should be a sacrosanct activity of impeachment. I agree with you on all that. Yeah. But I also Thank you. Did agree. you hear that? Can we just repeat that? Do we have a I loop? can say it slowly. Can we get the slowly. Slowly. I agree so with you on that. Will. Can we just have that said over and over? But I will say never cede your right to choose your own representatives because of some other gamesmanship on the ballot. That kind of partisan play is where yeah. we got where we are. Yeah. Yep. And partisan, we just don't have time for that in 2020. Let's all just take it's a deep breath. Let's we can see. sort yes, it out. Yes. You know that, right? We, we can get this whole thing out. sorted it's out true. right here. And I have like five more issues I want to get to, but we can't because we're out of time. Uh, next week, after our kids are back to school and we're getting up in the rising grind, we're going to talk about whether or not uh, school districts should look at later start times. I have a strong opinion about this, so I can't wait to hear what you have to say. I also can't wait to see if Greg happens to run for governor. We'll have to wait and yeah, see. So This is exciting. Thanks for being with us. So uh, thank you very much both as always. Happy New Year to all of you. And please, everyone, take a deep breath. Follow people on social media you don't agree with because it might be enlightening. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends about us.